0: Well, today, as all of you here know, is Easter Sunday, as most of the world recognizes it, right? It is uh, Resurrection Sunday to those who celebrate it for what it really is all about. You know, last Sunday, as my wife was working with the children and teaching them about the death and the burial of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, One of the students, one of the kids in her Sunday school, upon hearing all of the scriptures, after hearing all the scriptures, he asked the question, so then where's the the bunny in all of this? (laughs) After he heard all the scriptures, you know, where's the bunny in all of this? And of course, my wife responded, well, there is no bunny in all of this. So again, there are two ways in which Easter Sunday is viewed by people in this world. And of course... I'm sure you all know that I will only focus on one of those viewpoints here this morning. And though it is possible that I will bring up the name Peter, it will not be the name Peter Cottontail that I'll be talking about this morning. So then the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what is it to you and me? Does it mean anything really in our day and age? Is it just part of a world religion or Is there something more to it? Well, I submit to you this morning that the answer to those questions that I just asked really comes down to the condition of each one of our hearts as an individual, the core of our being, the center of your soul, however you want to refer to that part of you. Is the living Christ, the resurrected Christ dwelling in you today? That is where I'm going to take our focus this morning. Not on the facts or the details of the resurrection, but our focus this morning will be on our own hearts and where we are in our own walk with, walks with Christ. Okay. You know, in years past, I've taught on Resurrection Sunday, and I've talked about the stone being rolled away from the tomb of Jesus, and I've equated that to there being a stone in front of the hearts of many people. A stone that needs to be rolled away in order for us to come into a relationship with the risen Lord, to know Jesus Christ within us. That stone is often made up of a number of things. It might be blatant sin that a person is caught up in. It may uh, just be passive sin, but nonetheless, it is still sin that is keeping people from experiencing the richness and the fullness of the risen Christ alive in them. There are those that have preconceived notions of Jesus, something that a certain religion may have placed deep within them over a period of years. There are many things that can harden a person's heart to the risen Lord. And again, this morning, I'd like to attempt to get all of us to look deeper into our own walks with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we have a true walk? Is it a strong one or is Jesus merely just a part of our religion? I heard a man this past week say that he was a Christian and that as a Christian, he chose to practice his Christianity as a part of a certain religion and he named that religion. And it just struck me as funny. He said, I'm a Christian who practices as a whatever he said. And I thought to myself, is that really what Christianity is? Is true biblical Christianity just a bunch of denominations under one banner where some choose to practice their Christianity this way and some choose that way? But I think in reality that is how a lot of people really do view Christianity. They label themselves as Christian Methodist, Christian Catholic, Christian Mormon, Christian Presbyterian, Christian Baptist, non-denominational Christian, right? And on and on it goes. But is that really what Jesus came to establish? Did he really want to see a bunch of segmented groups with varying views um, on biblical matters? right? Various philosophies, various traditions and such. You know, personally, I really don't see that in the pages of Scripture. I never have. And the Word of the Lord doesn't present that to us. And on the contrary, it speaks against that kind of thing. It speaks against separating the body of Christ, dividing the body of Christ in that manner. And of course, many of you that have been around me for any period of time know that I'm a teacher of the Bible, the Word of God, and that I believe that the Word of God is sufficient for us for us. And, and growing in our knowledge of the Word of the Lord needs to be the number one priority in our lives, but even more important than knowing the Word. And I always stress this. A lot of Sundays after Sundays, I stress, but more important than knowing the Word is actually living the Word out on a daily basis being more than just forgetful hearers, right, but being doers of the Word. So as I preface all of this, right, with all of this in mind, let's go to the Scriptures and find out what Jesus, our risen Lord, really did want for His church. What did Jesus come to establish on the earth? So I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles now to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. The fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. John chapter 17. And this chapter here contains what sh- um, should truly be referred to as the Lord's Prayer. In this prayer of Jesus', we will get a pretty clear picture of what Jesus desires of his followers. So let's go ahead and start reading. Uh, John chapter 17, verse one. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. Now pause right there for a moment because again, I promise you that we're gonna talk about the resurrection, again, how it applies to us. But before we get into that, I just want to lay a foundation that we'll build upon to get up to that point. And here we see that Jesus is praying. But in this prayer, he asks the Father God to glorify him so that he can in turn glorify the Father. Now we know from many different scriptures in the Bible that Jesus was indeed God, but we also know that he became flesh and dwelt among us, Emmanuel, God with us. In Philippians 2, we are told that he humbled himself and became a man. So he is God the Son, and here in this chapter, as a man, as a son, he is praying to God the Father. And at this point in time, the time of this prayer, that is, he is about ready to go to the cross and die for the sin of the world, to shed his blood in our stead. And Jesus continues on speaking of himself and says in verse two, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Okay, so Jesus, with His physical life here on this earth, wanted to glorify the Father, we see there, right? And we see also that He wanted to give eternal life to people. So here we see at least part of what Jesus desired to do while He was here on the earth, why He came to the earth, right? But what is eternal life? How does eternal life come about? Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is really all about eternal life. And Jesus here in verse three tells us that eternal life is, he says, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So that's the key thing right there, isn't it? In order for someone to have eternal life, they must know the Father God and Jesus Christ whom God the Father sent into the world. And there is something really important there in verse 3 that I need to point out to you, and that is the word know there, K-N-O-W. Many Bible teachers have taught on this, but it's important for us to know that this word carries a very important meaning. The Greek word used for the word know there is the word genosko, and it's a word that indicates that you know something very intimately, you know something, or in this case, you know someone to the degree where knowing them will produce their likeness within you. That's what it means to know the Lord. It's that type of intimate relationship, okay? You become one with that whatever that is that you know. That's the kind of know being talked about here as it relates to the Father God and Jesus. This Greek word and a very similar meaning word in the Hebrew is also used in the Bible to describe when a husband and wife come together for the purpose of reproducing, okay? So again, what Jesus is expressing here is a very intimate relationship with God the Father and God the Son. It's more than just a head knowledge, Right? eternal life is more than just that. You see, when someone truly knows the Father and Jesus Christ, his son, then that person becomes like Jesus in the manner in which they live out their lives. Right? And this is the prayer of Jesus here. This is his desire that we would know him in such an intimate way that we become like him. Did we just not sing that? I think, oh, to become, oh, to be like you, to give all I have just to know you. It's one and the same, right? We, we know him, we become like him. It's far more than just a religion. It's far more than a denomination. It's far more than a non-denomination. It is the living God dwelling in you. This is eternal life. This is the resurrection, once dead, without God in your life, and then alive, born again, and made new, knowing God in you, knowing Christ in you. Let's read on here, verse 4. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So verse 5 there is just another verse that speaks of the deity of Jesus Christ. He had glory with the Father even before the world was in existence. Yes, Jesus was a man on this earth, but he was also God in the flesh. Before anything was, he was. John chapter 1, verse 1. We're familiar with these verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. And the Word became flesh. And dwell among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only-begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But Jesus, in his prayer here, speaks of this glory that He once had with the Father. And then in verse six, he continues and says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you and they have believed that you sent me. Okay, so what we see here is uh, Jesus speaking in this prayer of all of his disciples, the ones that followed him around when he walked upon this earth. They were all Jewish men, and they were God's chosen people. And as we've been studying in Genesis, Jesus as God the Son came to them, and he gave them the words that God the Father wanted them to have. And these men received these words and believed Jesus, and sold out to Jesus, and began to follow Jesus, right? Verse nine, I pray for them, he says, I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Okay, so right now at this point in the prayer, Jesus is still praying for his disciples that walked with him while he was on the earth. But he knows that he will soon die of physical death, and he is leaving in the these men in the care of the Father God. But his clear desire is that these believers in him would what? That they would all be one. He says there that they may be one as we are. He did not come to establish the first fill-in-the-blank church of fill-in-the-blank town, right? He wanted His body, the body of Christ that is the church. He wanted for all believers in Him to be one as Him and the Father are one. No separation, right? No denomination, no disputing over this doctrine or that doctrine. Just simply a church body of people worldwide that come to Jesus by faith, hearing His Word, reading His Word, and living out His Word, knowing that eternal life that He desires for us to know. He goes on to say, while I was with them in the world, verse 12, I kept them in your name. Those whom you have given me, I have kept and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. And of course, we know he's speaking of Judas, the one that would betray him. Verse 13, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Okay, so as a follower of Jesus, one that has come to know Jesus and lives in a manner in which Jesus lived, right? A person is not of this world at that point. If that's the way they're living, they're following Jesus and they're living in the manner that Jesus has lived. They've come to know Him. They become like Him. They know Him in that intimate way. They're not of the world. The New Testament book of Romans chapter 12 says that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God. Our bodies, this life that we have here on this earth, we present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy, set apart that means, acceptable to God, and that we are not to be conformed to this world, but rather we are to be transformed by the renewing of the mind, right? Right? So we're we're in the world and not of the world. Then in verse 15, Jesus says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Okay, so pause right there because this is the way that a person becomes sanctified. How? By the word of God. You know, 1 Peter chapter 1 says that we purify our souls by obeying the truth. And that it says in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we are born again through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Jesus said in the Gospel of John chapter 8 that you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So there's that sanctifying power of the Word of God within us, okay? And if we tie it all together thus far, God was the word in the beginning. God became flesh and dwelt among us. We must come to know God, the word, right? That became flesh and dwelt among us. We must come to know Jesus Christ. We have the word of God in our possessions now today, don't we? We call it our Bibles. We come to the knowledge of him through this word. And we are sanctified by its truth, born again through it, and set free as a result, set apart, living holy lives that are acceptable to God, living completely differently, set free from the bondage of sin and death. And we come to know this eternal life that Jesus Christ spoke of back there in chapter or verse three. But then in verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Okay, now, what did Jesus send his disciples into the world to do? He says he sent them into the world. What were they to do? They were to preach the gospel, to tell the good news that mankind can know God, that we can know God in a personal way, and we can have eternal life, an abundant life. These disciples not only proclaimed all this, but they also wrote it down. It's also been written down for you and me to read. And we have it here in our Bibles today so that we can know this good news. Again, 1 Peter chapter 1, we are born again through the Word of God. So the Word of God gets preached. We receive it. We hear it. It comes alive in us. It's a living Word active, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. We have the living word within us. We have Christ in us, right? Verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Okay, right there, Jesus just prayed for us. All those years ago, he prayed for you and me here today. We are the ones that have come to believe in Him through the words that His disciples spoke. And again, we to have them all written down now, okay? And again, what is His desire for us, for you and me specifically? Verse 21, That they may, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So you see, that is the desire of our Lord God as well, that we first of all would be in Him, Complete in Him. That's what that word perfect that you see there in verse 23 means. Complete. We are complete in Him. We need nothing else. We need no one else. It's not Jesus plus our religion, our denomination, our non-denomination, right? By knowing Jesus, we come to know eternal life. We come to know the power of the resurrection. Because Jesus Himself is the resurrection and the life. That's what we're told in John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And the simplicity of it all is that we just come to know Him. We just come into that relationship with Him. Let's mark this page and turn for a few moments to the New Testament book of Philippians chapter 3. To the right of where we are now, after Second Corinthians, you have Galatians, Ephesians, then Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. In this chapter here, the Apostle Paul is speaking of all that he once knew. All that he thought he knew about God from his knowledge of the law. Paul's speaking about that in this chapter. All that he thought he knew. He thought he had everything figured out at one time, right? Because of his religion, because of his knowledge of the law, right? Then down in verse 8, he says, Yet indeed I also count all things loss, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ. Pause right there, because you see, Jesus is everything. He's our all in all. He's all sufficient, right? Jesus plus nothing, knowing Jesus and then throwing everything else out. That's what it's all about. Knowing Jesus and throwing everything else out. All the doctrines of men, all the traditions, anything your religion may have taught you, cast it aside for the sake of knowing Jesus and becoming one with Him and the Father. Verse nine, and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Okay, so another very clear distinction being made there, uh, righteousness comes in one way and one way only, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. God gave us Jesus as the way to righteousness, as our only hope for righteousness, no religious laws, no church affiliation, nothing else, but the risen Lord and the risen Lord alone dwelling within us, Jesus and Jesus alone. Verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You know, I cannot tell you how extremely important it is that we understand what verses 10 and 11 communicate to us here this morning. First of all, you can know the power of His resurrection. You can know the power of His resurrection. There is an abundant life that Jesus gives to us. But we must also know His sufferings and must also be conformed to His death. You see, there's a gospel taught today that leaves that part out, right? We can just know the power of his resurrection. We can have the abundant life. We can have our best life now. It can all be good. Everything's about this life and what we uh, can obtain and everything, right? But we must know his sufferings and be conformed to his death. His desire for us is that we would die to ourselves, die to this world, that we would take up the cross and follow him. So we can go over all the details of the resurrection today, but I'm not taking us there. I'm taking us into our own hearts to see where we are in Christ and how we're really living. Have we died to ourselves? Have we died to this world? Do we have that resurrection life within us? And do we count everything else as loss and rubbish? We don't need it. We just need Jesus. And we need to drop sometimes our preconceived notions of God, our philosophies, our traditions, and simply just come to Jesus and and know that He is eternal life and we can know the power of His resurrection. And then in the end, we can attain the resurrection from the dead. We will eternally be with Him. But He wants to indwell us now, in this life now. It's Jesus now. It's what He has for us. Now let's turn back to the Gospel of John, but let's this time turn to um, chapter 14. John chapter 14. And let's uh, look down and start reading in verse 22. It says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world. So this is a good question from Judas, not Iscariot here, right? How is it that one person can come to know Jesus and not everyone else in the world know him? Jesus doesn't physically appear to anyone on the earth today. This isn't the way a person comes to know Jesus, right? As a matter of fact, Jesus told Thomas, right, the one we know of as Doubting Thomas, that the person that believes in him without ever seeing him is the truly blessed one. So how then is it that a person can know Jesus intimately today? We know we come to him by faith, but Jesus in verse 23 here will give us a practical step that we must take in this life. He says in verse 23 there, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Wow, so that's how a person comes to know eternal life, the resurrection power of Christ within them. They do so by keeping his word, knowing his word, right? And keeping it. Then as Uh, Jesus and the Father at that point come and make their home with that person. So it's really not just another world religion, is it? It's really not just a denomination or a non-denomination. It's all about whether we know Jesus and the Father and whether they have made their home within us or not, right? With us. And they make their home with the person that keeps the word. The person that knows Jesus, genosko, Jesus, in an intimate way. They have come to the place where they desire to live their life in accordance with the Word of God, just as the original disciples of Jesus did all the way back then. Right? They left everything to follow Jesus. Peter proclaimed that, didn't he? We've left all to follow you, Jesus, Right? And when you come to this place, you understand that as 1 Corinthians six nineteen says, that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit at that point, who is in us, whom we have received from God. We are not our own anymore, right? Because we're sealed. The Holy Spirit comes in us, that life of Christ, the resurrection within us. So what I want you to do now is just turn up one book, to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to wind this down here. i will still be about another 15 minutes, so hang in there with me. We're going to read a lot of scriptures, okay? But here in Acts chapter 2, we will see the Apostle Peter speaking to a bunch of people that are bewildered by those that have had the Holy Spirit come upon them right? The Holy Spirit has come upon a group of believers and the world around them is just trying to figure out what this is all about. What is going on with these people? We're going to start reading down in verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Now, quickly pause right there, because I just want to mention to you here that Peter is one of those men that Jesus was praying for back in John chapter 17, when Jesus said that he gave his words to them that the Father gave him to give to them. Those men, Jesus said, would take those words on, And give them to others that will believe in Jesus, even after Jesus was gone from the earth. And again, you and me are the beneficiaries of that today. But Peter goes on in verse 15, For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So some of this that Peter is speaking about is yet still in the future, okay? It hasn't happened yet. And it shall come to pass, verse 21, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that's for our day and age. Anyone today that will lay down their life can come to the Lord and be saved. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, Peter goes on here. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of His body, according to the flesh, He would raise up the Christ to sit on His throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that His soul was not left in Hades, nor did His flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Okay, so stop right there, because here... There's a group of people that have committed their lives to Jesus, Peter being one of them here. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter says that they are witnesses of Jesus, witnesses to the fact that Jesus lives. That's what they're witnesses to, the fact that Jesus lives. Yes, they crucified Him, Peter told him, but He is still alive, and He has ascended back into heaven. And today, when a person comes to Jesus by faith, you and me, we too are to be witnesses to the fact that Jesus is alive, right? Because we know the risen Lord within us, and our lives should display that, that we have Christ in us. We have Him alive in us. Christ. So what does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? It means that He is the Messiah, the Savior, the Anointed One, the one and the only way to the Father, eternal life. But He is not only the Christ, He is also Lord. And the word, of, and the word Lord there means that He is Master, that He is Sovereign, that He is above all else, that there is none greater. He is the Almighty. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says of Himself, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And when you come to know Jesus in an intimate way, everything changes. Everything becomes new. And Peter is about to tell all these people listening how they can come to know the risen Lord. And he says in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now pause right there and let me challenge you with a question here this morning. Does anyone ever look at your life and see the resurrection power of Jesus Christ within you? Do they see the Holy Spirit at work within you? And when they do, do they they themselves then desire to know what they can do to come to know this power that's within you, this life that you have, this hope that you have? Are you ready to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that is within you? Do people look at you and say, "What what do I need to do? I see that you have the peace of the Lord. I see you have the joy of the Lord. I see you have Christ in you. What do I need to do? It's just something to think about here this morning. And Peter is going to give them an answer here to what they need to do. And he says in verse 38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is the pattern laid forth for all of mankind in the Word of God. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is Lord. And what a person needs to do is to have Jesus and the Father make their home with that person. And in order for that to happen, they need to repent. And they need to be baptized. They need to come out of the world in that sense. They need to present their bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. They repent they're baptized and they shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The resurrected life of Christ comes in that person. But you can't leave out the repentance. It's not just say you believe in Jesus and that's enough. It's not just join a church, become a part of a religion, become a part of a denomination, a non-denomination. You must lay down your life and you must stop living your life without Christ and repent and turn to Him and be baptized in His name And by His Holy Spirit, He comes into you, and you will know the power of the resurrection. Verse 39, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off. That's you and me today. We were afar off from that point in time, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, He testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved. From this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Can you imagine if the body of Christ today, if we as individuals would live it out and people would see Christ in us, how many people can come to Christ? Because we are the witnesses of Jesus Christ. How many people can come just because they see that we have Christ in us in the way that we live, right? But there's more of a biblical pattern laid out for us there in these scriptures. The people of that time and people we know today live in a perverse generation and it keeps getting more and more perverse. Sexual immorality abounds, abortions abound, laws are made now in favor of all of this immorality. And a born again person, the one that has received the word of the Lord into their hearts, the one that has repented of their own sin, been baptized and received the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are the people that are to be not of this world with the risen Christ as Lord of all with the resurrected power of Jesus Christ within us. He is our master, and we are to walk in obedience to his word, to live it out in a daily basis. We are people that keep his word, right? Every aspect of our life is impacted by the risen Lord. Our Savior is not dead. He is alive. And if we we profess him today, then we must live like it, live like he indwells us. And it will impact the world around us. Because He did not come to establish a religion. He did not come to establish all of these denominations and all of this separation. He came that we might know Him, that we might know God, that we might know Him intimately, that we might know Him personally. And this is what the resurrection, to me, this is what it's all about. Christ in us. And having that resurrected power, and we actually live that out in this life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for your grace, the unmerited favor, the gift that you have given us that we can come to know you. And that gift was in the form of you becoming flesh, your only begotten son, Jesus Christ. So we thank you for that grace. And we have come to receive Jesus by faith. And God, I I pray for all of us here, Lord, that, that we will take to heart what we see in your word, Lord, that we will not be forgetful hearers, but that we would be doers, that we might know your power, that we might partake of your sufferings, that we might die to ourselves, Lord, and not let this life be all about what we have or what we can obtain, Lord, or or what we chase after, but that we would lay down our lives. That's what you desire for us, that we would lay it all down. That as we saw with the Apostle Paul, that we would count it all as rubbish, Lord, that we might know your resurrection power. This is the real story of the resurrection. This is what it's all about, Lord, that we might know you in this way. Let your will be done in our hearts and minds, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would just surrender all, that we would make that choice in our lives to surrender our lives more completely to you, to present our bodies, this life that we have here on this earth as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, that we might know your will and your purpose in our lives to the fullest extent. Lord, we thank you for this time again. In Jesus' name, amen.